big sky, big potential. This is Eastern Promise. Welcome to episode 73 of the Eastern Promise podcast. I'm Mike Rigby and this week I'll be talking to a Norfolk-based training firm taking medical skills to the care sector. Sepsis, which occurs when the body's immune system overreacts to an infection, is at best claiming scarce NHS resources and, at worst, tens of thousands of lives every year. NR Medical Training was started by Rachel Holden and Neil Fawcett. Rachel and Neil have seen that the social care sector isn't equipped to speak about sepsis in the same language as the NHS. And that's why they've created a course to bridge the gap. And finally, Hot Town, summer on the river, in the city. We're messing about in boats, in the heat of the urban jungle, in this week's Crowd Sorcery. Sepsis is a killer. It's when the body's immune system goes into overdrive in response to something as potentially insignificant as a cut or a bite and begins to attack healthy tissue. According to the UK Sepsis Trust, five people an hour lose their lives to sepsis in the UK. Or around 48,000 people a year. If caught early enough, Sepsis is completely treatable, if it's caught early enough. If it's not, even when it's not fatal, sepsis can still leave survivors with long-term mental and physical damage. In Norfolk, former paramedics Neil Fawcett and Rachel Holden, founders of NR Medical Training, have been bringing their deep knowledge of emergency medicine to clients as diverse as equestrian settings and offshore wind farms. This experience has given them an insight into the way that the social care sector isn't equipped to speak about sepsis in the same language as the NHS. This can lead to unnecessary hospitalisation, or worse, sepsis being missed until it is far, far too late. We'll hear more from Rachel and Neil in a moment. But first, here's a brief message from the Chief Executive of the UK Sepsis Trust, Dr Ron Daniels. Hello, my name's Dr Ron Daniels. I'm an intensive care consultant in Birmingham in the West Midlands, and I'm also the founder and chief executive of the UK-based charity, the UK Sepsis Trust. And we at the Sepsis Trust fulfil three critical functions. First, we raise public awareness 
so that members of the public know how and when to access healthcare if they're deteriorating in the context of an infection. Second, we support people affected by sepsis, whether they've survived it and have some challenges in their recovery, whether they are supporting someone who survived sepsis, which can be equally difficult, or whether they've been bereaved by sepsis. And the third thing that we do, and the reason I'm talking to you today, is we equip health professionals and carers with the tools, knowledge and skills to act quickly if someone they're advocating for or they're treating is beginning to deteriorate with infection. And that's why we are so excited to have partnered with NR Medical Training to deliver much needed awareness into the care home setting. Now, sepsis is an enormously common problem. Across the UK, it's estimated to affect 245,000 people every year and claim as many as 48,000 lives. Around the world, sepsis claims more lives than cancer. And as we age, or if we have underlying health problems, we are more at risk of sepsis. And that's why it's so important that you and the people you work with know what to do. Now, NICE issue recommendations around sepsis, including risk factors. And many care home residents will have one or more of these risk factors. They include advancing age. They include underlying conditions, particularly those which make infection more likely, such as diabetes or COPD. They include people who are receiving immunosuppressant therapy. Now that'll include anti-cancer therapies, but it'll also include things like steroids that people might be taking for other conditions. People with indwelling devices, such as intravenous drips, such as catheters, are more at risk of developing sepsis. And so you can see that the people you advocate for have almost certainly at least one of these risk factors. Now, obviously, we recognise that not everyone who's a resident in a care home will be appropriate for hospital assessment and treatment. But the basics of sepsis intervention, which include, for example, antibiotics, can be delivered even for those residents in the community setting if hospital transfer is not appropriate. So it's really important that we all know and understand what to look for. And this training that we're delivering in partnership with NR Medical will deliver that information into your hands so that you can safeguard your residents. We very much look forward to working together on this to make sure that fewer people in your care come to harm from sepsis. Thank you. I wanted to know more about NR Medical Training and especially the way in which Rachel and Neil are empowering carers with life-saving knowledge. I met up with Rachel and Neil in the business centre of the Millennium Library in Norwich. It is an absolute honour to be joined here by Rachel Holden and Neil Fawcett of NR Medical Training. Uh, I'll start with you, Rachel. Welcome to Eastern Promise. And 
can I ask you to give just a quick potted history of yourself and then I'm going to ask Neil to do the same uh, and then we'll come on to uh, tell us about NR Medical Training and how it all got started but just tell us about yourself first. Yeah of course, um, so I started my career in health and social care around 21 years ago, um, <laughs> there or thereabouts. Um, I started life as a carer. Um, I was looking after um, young children with learning disabilities um, and I moved from there to work in elderly care and support work um, and I've worked with lots of different client groups along the way, uh, mental health, uh, did a little bit in child protection as well for a little while um, and then I went to university um, to study for my paramedic science degree, um, became qualified um, and then since qualifying I have worked in numerous settings um, in GP surgeries um, and in A&E. Um, and then I went on to do some further training um, in forensics and worked as a forensic paramedic in police custody, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, and I did a bit of education in there and in the, in the middle of all of that as well. So yeah, a varied background, but all in health and social care. Neil, let's come to you. Sure. Um, so mine's equally varied. Um, I, but much more impressive. No, it's not, not at all, no. Um, so again, roughly 20 years of experience uh, in sort of emergency services roles, in a variety of those roles. So I started life in my 20s uh, as a, a police officer with the Metropolitan Police um, and uh, spent roughly three to four years there. Uh, then took a step sort of sideways and um, joined the fire and rescue service. Uh, and I spent the best part of 10 years in the fire and rescue service, um, obviously stuck life as a firefighter, uh, and then um, got promoted uh, and, and did sort of instant command. That's where I sort of developed my sort of passion for training. So I went into the training development team with the fire and rescue service, uh, started teaching things like instant command training, breathing apparatus training, and lots of different sort of things there, disciplines, and, and absolutely fell in love with training. Um, I spent, when I left, sort of the UK Fire and Rescue Service. Um, I went uh, and did a bit of time as a civilian contractor in Afghanistan. Um, so um, we were part of uh, the emergency sort of response team responding to incidents on the base. Um, but also um, our mission there was to train uh, Afghan firefighters. So as part of Operation Resolute Support, um, trying to build up the sort of resilience of the, the local populace. Uh, so we were busy training Afghans. Um, and I spent a year doing that. Uh, and when I came back, my father and stepmother spent their careers in the London Ambulance Service. And I kind of thought, well, I've done all the others. I might as well join the Ambulance Service. Um, I had a keen interest in healthcare anyway, especially in Afghanistan. We were dealing with a lot of injuries and things, um, sort of medevacs coming in uh, to the airbase uh, and dealing with those casualties as they sort of, we, we handed over to the, the field medics, obviously, but, but it sort of developed a, a keen um, interest in me in medicine. So I wanted to explore that a little bit further. So I joined the London Ambulance Service where I trained as a, an associate ambulance practitioner uh, and then went to East of England and sp I've spent the last six years in, in, in emergency healthcare before we started in our medical training. Um, and yeah, the, that's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to Rachel now. We're going we're gonna to ask for the history of NR medical training, how you got started and what you do, basically. Um, yeah, so about a year ago, um, we were chatting one afternoon, I believe, um, uh, just about ideas and whatnot that we had. Um, and obviously, we've both got background in education and we both had a bit of a eureka moment and thought, actually, why don't we start a training company 
because of our experience. We've had some fantastic mentors ourselves along the way in various settings. And I know certainly has in Please Fire and, and Ambulance. I certainly have throughout my years in health and social care as a paramedic. And we kind of wanted to pass that on, really, um, to other people. So one afternoon, sort of developed the idea and then went for it. You'd obviously got a passion for training, so was it all kind of baked in how you were going to get going? You kind of knew what to do? Well, we had an idea. Uh, and like Rachel said, we both, both received some fantastic training over the years, but equally, we'd also received some really poor training in the past as well. Um, so we know what that felt like. And we wanted to, we wanted to give people back our collective 40 years of experience in, in emergency response and healthcare. And we thought, you know, we, we can do this. We, we, we're actually really good at, at training uh, and we want to pass on this, this, this bank of knowledge that we've both collectively built up. The other staff members that, that work for us as well are equally experienced as well. We only recruit those type of people. Um, so it's that, it's that combination that the magic is the, the experience and the expertise. It's not, that's not enough. You need to have charisma, you need to have all those great communication skills. Yeah. That's what makes good training. And that's where real learning takes place. Mm -hmm. It takes place when you blend those two. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was a eureka moment, real, having that realization that actually we can make a big impact and uh, we want to sort of give something back. Um, and we've we developed a, a range of training as well, including which we're going to be talking about in a moment, I think, the, the, yes, sep the, the sepsis training um, that we, we're really passionate about. You know, mm -hmm. we've, we've, we've seen We've seen the devastating effects of sepsis firsthand, um, especially on the front line. Um, and there's not, there's not a training session we do, whether it be sepsis or otherwise, or the other training we do as well, where somebody doesn't have an experience with sepsis. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there, there's always anecdotes around that. Um, that we, and, and that's part of, our, part of, the, part of how we train. It's, mm -hmm. it's about storytelling. You pull those out. Absolutely. Yeah. Those stories are vital um, mm -hmm. because it's, there's evidence to suggest that, that storytelling in education is, is really, really powerful. Uh, and that's not just the stories from the instructor swinging, swinging the lamp. Uh, that's, that's sharing stories between peers. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's where the real learning takes place. Mm -hmm. And we love that. I mean, it can be so important, especially in a, a professional setting, to know, Rachel, that, isn't, that the person who is up there training you has those experiences themselves to call on and isn't just reading from a manual. Absolutely, and, and we've, we've gotten a lot of our feedback is, is just that. We feel that we've got more in-depth training because you guys have had the experience, our instructors have had that experience of carrying out CPR on somebody or dressing that wound or stopping that bleed or supporting somebody in a mental health crisis, whatever that may be. We've, we've done those things in a real-life setting and I think that, that brings that realness and I think gives faith in us as well as, as, as trainers and instructors. Yeah. Um, that you wouldn't necessarily get had you not have had those experiences. I mean, what what what's the the bank of clients you have? Where do they where do they come from? I mean, we'll we'll come on to sepsis, but the sepsis training specifically. But in terms of the broader offer, where do you where do you draw your bank bank of clients from? Everywhere. Everywhere. Um, <laughs> which which can be a challenge uh, in terms of marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Just in um, when you speak to a marketing professional, they, they often want you to narrow down your client base. Ultimately, um, our clients are from, from care homes, schools, offices, 
small businesses, high-risk industry. We recently just carried out some training for those that work on wind turbines and of course out at, out at sea. So yeah, so everywhere. hugely varied, and and you know there, there's there's some legislation that legislate particularly first aid training and things like that. There's some legislature legislature around that. Um, so, but yeah, our client base is is very varied. So the good thing is we 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 recognise that and and we can. Although accredited courses have a, a fixed fixed learning outcomes, we can tailor the courses to match the match the business, so match the risks. Match, you know, we can add things in um, where we where we feel they're appropriate or the client feels they're appropriate. So we can adapt. Um, so yeah, that's that's our, our client base, hugely varied everywhere. and everywhere. Yeah, and taking accredited courses as well, because that's that's important that they've got that yeah. that that piece of certification at the end. Sepsis. Now, I did some reading around sepsis. I've never been so terrified in my life. Um, as you say, that the chances of you know every, nearly everyone, particularly in a medical setting, will have had at some point some experience of sepsis. Do you just want to explain to us, Rachel, what sepsis is? Because it, it sounds like lots of things you might have heard of, but uh, what is it? So sepsis is, isn't something that you can just catch. We don't just catch sepsis. Um, sepsis develops from an infection that somebody may already have. That could be anything from um, somebody's had a bite and it's got infected, or it could be from an infection. Um, and it's the body's overreaction, the body's immune system's overreaction to that infection, so much so that it can then start to destroy healthy tissues as well um, and can ultimately lead, could be fatal um, if, if not treated. So medical professionals on the front line and in the, and in the blue light services, I mean, you, you, you've got the whole gamut, Neil, so we can, we can trust you to tell us, um, would be pretty well skilled at this point, one would assume, in spotting sepsis. Yes. The, there's a lot of training in the acute, you know, acute um, ambulance setting and, and hospital settings. There's, mm -hmm. there's a tremendous amount of training and effort that's gone into um, you know, enabling staff to recognise sepsis mm -hmm. early, and that's the key, recognising sepsis early, because sepsis is it's completely preventable. Yeah. It's completely yeah. treatable if, catch the caveat is if you catch it early. Yeah. Um, it's when it's not caught early that we end up with hospitalisations, we end up with uh, long-term health problems, mm -hmm. uh, we end up in ITU, mm -hmm. uh, and sadly, uh, approximately 48,000 people in the UK lose their lives to sepsis yeah. every year. Um, so that, that's when the problems statistic. occur. I mean, that's, that's a higher death toll than a suite of cancers put together. I can't recall which ones they are, but... Um, and it's, it's... I think it's something that's so well known medically in the medical profession. As you say, totally treatable, but laymen like myself, we've kind of heard this scary thing and you just don't think it can happen from something, as you say, yeah. as in, insignificant as a bite. But what I think is extraordinary about the course that you've put together, because you've seen a need and you've, you've, you've put that together, you've done that specifically for the care sector, yes. where you've got a, 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 a concentration of really vulnerable people mm -hmm. and whose, whose age um, and vulner frailty, vulnerability makes it incredibly difficult, even much, so much harder to spot. And so that training can be all, so much more important. So, Rachel, could you just start by telling us where the idea for this specific piece of training came from? Um, I think it was about noting that um, there was a disconnect in the language used. So 
as, as Neil said, in ambulance trusts, um, in hospital settings, we all have a certain type of language when we speak about sepsis. Um, and in care and support, um, in the care and support um, sector, they don't speak the same language as the NHS. Um, and as we were talking about last night, the NHS and the health and social care sector have a symbiotic relationship. If one falls, so does the other. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, we are seeing failings on, on both sides, and that's because they're both relatively unstable at the moment. So I think from our perspective, from frontline um, A&E work, from ambulance work, we saw that um, care and support staff, if we went to a job at a, a residential home, for example, there would be one or two things would happen. There would be somebody incredibly poorly that where it hadn't been spotted soon enough, or conversely, perhaps they didn't need to be in hospital at that yeah. time and an ambulance wasn't the right pathway for them. Yeah. Um, and that's not pointing a finger of blame at anybody. No, no. That's, down, we feel, down to a lack of training. Um, so we want to bridge that gap between the NHS and health and social care and ensure that everybody's speaking the same language and, um, and through that provide empowerment to this hugely important group of people that I feel, we feel, certainly sometimes fall under the radar. Um, and that's not fair because we are all doing the same job, whether you're a top consultant at London Hospital or you are a care and support worker working in a residential home. We are all there for the same reason, and that's to look after and care for others. It doesn't matter how you're doing that job, we're all doing the same thing. I think listeners and, and viewers will see sort of how important, from what you're saying, from how you're saying it, how important that is. I mean, Neil, Rachel told me that you'd, you'd come back from a, a, an ambulance shift going, you know, oh, it's so frustrating. It's so easy to stop it. And yet there we were. Um, so tell, tell me how that kind of first course got put together. Because, and, you know, Rachel said before, you know, the, the frustration she feels that people say, well, I'm only a carer who's going to listen to me. You've got that language disconnect between the NHS and the health and care sector, which are looking after our, you know, our, 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 our beloved but frail relatives. How did you start putting that course together? Well, I think you're right. We, we often have those conversations and those frustrations about, you know, this can be, this is, this is preventable. Uh, and we, we, start, we first started looking at examining what training we had had uh, and what training uh, was supplied to existing healthcare staff in hospitals and acute ambulance trusts. Um, and we noticed that since 2012, um, there's been an implement implementation of a, an early warning scoring system. Uh, it's called NEWS, uh, a NEWS 2 score, so that's the National Early Warning Score System. Yeah. Now that's been mandated in, in, those, in those hospital and ambulance environments for, for, for a long time, for years. Um, and it relies on six basic physiological measurements that, are, that every healthcare professional takes. Um, what we realised was most of the care homes we were going to also take these measurements, but because of a lack of training understanding perhaps, they, they weren't necessarily connecting the dots and certainly not using the National Early Warning mm -hmm. Score system. So they're non-invasive um, clinical observations or vital signs as we, yeah. we call them, um, things like heart rate, respiratory rate, blood pressure, temperature, things like that, levels of consciousness. Um, really easy to do. It, it takes seconds to do, um, but with, a, with using the National Early Warning Score system, it's a, it's a fantastic predictor mm -hmm. of um, how likely that patient is or resident 
is to deteriorate clinically. And it's not just used for sepsis, it's used across the board in, you know, for any illness, but it can be used as a really powerful clinical indicator of deterioration in those patients. So the light bulb moment was, well, this isn't, this isn't something that's particularly uh, difficult. You don't need to, do, you know, you don't need, you know, don't need any special, don't particularly specialist training to do this. These are things that that care and support staff do routinely most days anyway. Mm. Especially post COVID, everyone's got yeah. a, a temperature monitor yeah. and, and things like that. But they've normally got these things dotted around in the care home. Why don't we formally train up the care staff? We'll show them how to take clinical observations accurately, uh, and we'll, we'll tie that in with the News Two system. Mm. And now what you've got is uh, a care worker who might be worried about a particular resident who can then take a set of clinical observations accurately. They can calculate and use two score. And then when they call the GP or ring 999 or when they want to escalate that care to Which wherever they decide to, course, yeah, we, we yeah. talk to them how to escalate that care and what's appropriate. Um, now they can speak the same language because now they can say, my resident, um, my resident is 85. My resident hasn't passed urine in 18 hours. Uh, my resident's got a temperature of this, their blood pressure is this, their heart rate is this, and their news two score is this. Suddenly the GP or paramedic or EMT, whoever's on scene, they're, they're speaking the same language. Yeah, and that's so much time. Mm -hmm. And it's so powerful um, because things don't get missed. Um, patients who are acutely unwell get the care and support they need mm -hmm. early. That's the key, early, early recognition. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it reduces hospital admissions. It improves patient outcomes. Mm -hmm. We nip these things in the bud early, as early as possible. Potentially now, ambulance call-outs. And, and reducing ambulance call-outs, or, or certainly hospital admissions. Well, yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget vulnerable people, when they go into hospital, you know, there are hospital-acquired infections that, that, that do happen. Obviously, there are steps and infection prevention control measures that take place yes, in hospitals to try and prevent this as much as possible, mm. but they do happen. You know, COVID isn't, isn't the only one. Mm. You know, you've got things like uh, MRSA, C. diff, all those kind of things that, that people can catch while they're in hospital. They're not, not, not exactly the best places if you're already vulnerable. Mm. So if we can keep people out of hospital and we can get somebody a course of antibiotics nice and early mm. um, and prevent this from, from even developing into sepsis, mm. that's the key. Uh, and we think we can not only save hundreds, if not thousands, of lives by doing this, um, we think we can also save the NHS and wider society a whole load of money as well. <laughs> That's, I mean, the, the, two, the two things work very nicely together, I have to say. The, the, you know, especially for, for, for uh, anyone listening from uh, care settings, um, NHS and who knows, central government, um, we, 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 shall, we, we, can, we can hope. Um, but Rachel, that must be an incredibly powerful light bulb moment yeah. when you've got the care workers in front of you as you're delivering the course, and Neil as well, obviously, um, to see, oh, you mean that? But we, when we call it that, and you call it that, yeah. oh, now I see. Yeah. And, you know, to have those, that must be incredibly powerful and rewarding Absolutely. for you as well to see. It's, it's... <laughs> It's so many things. Um, initially, when we first started it, it was a course, and now it's developed into this huge thing that we, we feel is incredibly powerful. Um, it is empowering. It's empowering care staff, care, empowering um, support staff um, to be able to quantify illness um, rather than having that gut feeling. Because let's not forget, 
care and support staff know their residents, know people in their care incredibly well. They work with them day in, day out. They work with them in their most intimate and, and personal moments, helping somebody get washed and dressed every day, knowing what time they have lunch, knowing what their favourite drink is. They're all incredibly personal things to know about somebody. An ambulance crew arriving has just met that person, and perhaps a GP doesn't know that person as well as either. Well as, yeah. Same as hospital staff when somebody goes in. So being able to um, use their knowledge of, of that person and then being able to quantify it, knowing something's not right, you know, uh, resident A, um, you know, normally has lunch at 12 and suddenly isn't hungry today or suddenly is acting out of character that isn't normal for them. Um, and being able to say, actually, I'm going to go and do a News 2 score now um, and, and then monitor that person and know what to do with that information as well. That, that in itself is, is empowering, so let alone all the other sort of knock-on effects that that then has for, for these people. And we really feel that it will make not only a difference to our most vulnerable in society, spotting sepsis early and preventing these people from deteriorating. And that's not just elderly care homes either. That's, that could be um, a residential home for those with chronic mental health conditions yes. or those with learning disabilities. So it has such a wider impact than just... I think you, you've given people a language um, to talk about these things, to discuss these things, to convey information in a rapid way, because there is no allowance on a protocol for a gut feeling. As powerful and as correct as that gut feeling is, you can't dial 999 and say, well, I've got a, I've got a hunch, something's wrong. Because the... They're desperately trying to do the right thing on one end of the phone and, and on the other, but the other thing is, I can't do anything on the basis, and you'll know, you, I can't do anything on the basis of something's not right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's why it's so powerful. That is why it's so powerful. And I hope I got this right, but I think you mentioned that the, the course for participants is, isn't, doesn't cost anything. So... Since partnering with the Sepsis Trust, yeah, sorry, we've had to. We, we now run it not for profit. We yeah. keep it sorry, not, for not for profit. profit. Yeah, not for profit. Yeah, and to keep it as accessible as is possible, we would love to be able to continue running this free. Initially, when we started out, we did run it for free, but now the uptake has become more and more. You've got to the involvement of the yeah. Sepsis Trust. Unfortunately, we're not in a position to be able to offer it for free anymore. However. That being said, it's run not for profit to keep it the cost down as much as is possible. Um, Ten percent of every course booked goes straight back to the sepsis, the UK Sepsis oh, wow. Trust. Uh, so they have a donation. Do you, do you get any sense that the knowledge you impart on the course then cascades outwards to, to, throughout, like a care setting, and and, and from relatives? Absolutely. Um, one example of that is um, we delivered a course to um, a company called Home Support Matters. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're based down in Beckles, Beckles yeah. Um, so we met a, a lovely, lovely lady down there called Hannah. Um, she's part of the training team there. And she, she called us, she wanted the course, and, and we went there to deliver it. And they've been, the changes there have been, have been huge. Mm -hmm. So they've, they've actually developed some of what we've been teaching them into their own training programs for their domiciliary carers. Um, they're also looking in the future at providing, uh, they're not doing it yet, but just due to funds, but uh, they're looking at providing all of their visiting domiciliary carers with, a, with an ops kit, with blood pressure machine and things like that. So if they're, not, if they're worried, they can immediately do a news two score. So that, that one course has certainly had a, a huge impact. Mm. Um, and we've also had a number of success stories where, where, uh, where carers have, uh, on the back of the training that we've delivered, have done 
and use two score, they've escalated care and they've prevented hospital admission. Mm -hmm. And we're already seeing that, um, which is fantastic for everyone involved. It is. I was just going to come on to ask if you heard that things have, things have uh, turned out for the best, yeah. thanks to your training, and, and they absolutely have. That's, that's amazing. What, what's your range in terms of uh, who, to, how far you can go to deliver this training? Well, we are we're a Norfolk-based business. So, so far, we have delivered locally to, to, to care organisations within Norfolk and Suffolk. We, with the support of the UK Sepsis Trust, who, by the way, co-authored and endorsed our, our mm -hmm. training course completely. Oh, wow. um, do, do, Dr. Ron Daniels has, has been great and supported us and, yeah. and helped us develop the course um, to a point. It, yeah, to a point mm -hmm. where um, you know they, they were. Everybody's happy that yeah. it's, it's as good as it can be. Obviously, we're always trying to develop and, and, and make things better. We're constantly looking to improve, yeah. but it's got to a point now. Um, but yeah, we, with the help of the Sepsis Trust, um, they've got a bank of instructors as well that they can call upon. So we made it clear with Dr. Daniels that we wanted to take this course nationally. We believe that this training in an ideal world would be mandated in, in care, care organisations. It's not at the moment, uh, but we would love to see it mandated. Um, and we want to take it national. Uh, and and the, the pipe dream is to have every care organisation in the UK, uh, sepsis trained, mm -hmm. news two trained. Mm -hmm. um, if we do that, we're going to see a huge, a huge benefit. Yeah. Um, uh, and hopefully uh, better outcomes for sepsis oh, and reduction uh, of hospital admissions, um, you know, reduction of ambulance call outs as well, hopefully, um, better relationships with um, primary care services for, for care, care homes and, and care services, um, better morale within care you homes. Know, I was just thinking that, how wonderful it must be to, to, to have that, the confidence it gives you. To, you're talking the same language and you know you're not going to be, the, the paramedic's not going to go, the what, sorry? You've got to, the, the who, that what? And they're going, right, got you. Yeah. And that's like... To, to enable them to, uh, we want people to be to be proud of, of, of what they're doing. We, we want you to be proud to, I, I, I hate the term, I'm just a carer. They don't believe us, I'm just a carer. Um, I hate that, no one's just anything. You are a carer, that is an amazing job. Not everybody can do that job, it is incredibly difficult. Um, and these people should be celebrated and they should also be given every tool at their disposal to be able to enable them sorry to be able to look after the people they're looking after to the best of their ability and uh, yet another reason yeah why we why we developed this course with them in mind for that very reason well, i mean ideally we would love to see it free at the point of access to care organizations yeah, that would be that amazing would be because we know that 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 care organizations budgets are stretched mm -hmm. we know that um, which partly why we, we initially tried to offer it completely for free, now we're doing it not for profit, we, but we would love to see it free at the point of access. Mm -hmm. The only way that could happen is if um, local government or na government nationally um, helped to push this yeah, out okay. and fund, uh, fund the training. Now, when you look at how much money can be saved, mm -hmm. um, even if just one care home, if one care organisation uh, prevented one hospital admission a year, we're, we're talking we're talking hundreds of millions if not billions of savings uh, do you know what i'm sitting here listening to you and i don't want you to freak this this to freak you out but given my, i've got sort of past history in sort of parliament and select committees i just have got this vision now of you saying everything you've just said in front of the health and social care committee 
and what a powerful testimony that would be and how they should bally well ought to sit up and listen to what you've what you've got to say it is an amazing thing you've done it's an, i mean just just in terms of just in our medical training as well to see the need but this course in specifically the value you're placing on these people is is, is wonderful and so empowering for them you've done a fantastic thing all power to you um it, I, slightly grandiose, but I'll, I shall speak for the east of England and Eastern <laughs> Promise. So proud of what you're doing. So proud that you're, you're in our region doing it. And uh, all, all power to you. I wish you every success. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Thank, you. And thank you for having us. You're very welcome. My thanks to Neil and Rachel of NR Medical Training. To find out more about the services they offer, go to their website at nrmedical.com training and you can find out more information about sepsis at the uk sepsis trust sepsistrust.org eastern promise is taking a short breather for the summer but we will be back in September, rested and ready to be tested. Before then, I'll be announcing some exciting news about the future of the Eastern Promise CIC. But what of the podcast? I hear you cry. Well, I'll be dropping in on the Norwich City Community Sports Foundation and the Cambridge United Foundation to see how our region's clubs give back to the cities and communities around them. Spoiler alert. <coughs> they do. They bloody well do. I'll also be in Southwold to meet with Adnam's boss, Andy Wood OBE, and not just to catch some free samples. Well, not only. We'll be looking back at Andy's time as the inaugural chairman of the New Anglia LEP, taking his views on where our region goes from here and we'll also be discussing how and why Adnams has made such a good name for itself at the forefront of the brewing and hospitality industry's sustainability drive. The Norwich Research Park will once again play host to Eastern Promise as we follow in the heliod footsteps of BBC Radio 4 and visit the Quadrum Institute. I'll be talking to the Institute Director, Professor Ian Charles OBE, about the role the QI is playing at the heart of the virtuous circle of food, farming, agri-tech and healthcare that's taking shape just outside Norwich. Not only that, I'll be taking you around the QI in sound with Life Science and Healthcare Partnerships Lead for the University of Cambridge, Dr Tammy Dugan, as my special guest. I'll be seeing what she makes of it all, a real pan-Anglian effort. But wait, there's even more! <laughs> Eastern Promise will be dropping in on Chief Executive of the Zoological Society of East Anglia, Claudia Roberts, at the world-renowned Bannam Zoo. Meanwhile, Growth EQ boss Joe Graziano will be telling us about the search for tech talent in Cambridge and across our region, and how he goes about bringing the best to the East.
In Suffolk, I'll be asking Kath Cockshaw of Locus and Emily Shipperson of the Suffolk Archives about the Thomas Wolsey 550 project, along with one very notable guest. Um, let's see here. Uh, is it, um, uh, His Majesty Henry VIII. Hold on, that can't be right. It is. My word. I'm also really looking forward to welcoming Professor Andy Neely, Senior Pro-Vice-Chancellor for Enterprise and Business Relations, to the Eastern Promise podcast. I'm particularly excited to ask him how he gets out of bed every morning without his head exploding with the sheer magnitude of the opportunity before him. <sighs> and speaking of Cambridge and opportunity... Keep your ears open for a two-part special later this year, when I'll be joined by a smorgasbord of special guests to discuss how the A11 corridor in Norfolk, with its direct road and rail connections to Cambridge, can support sustainable growth in that city by virtue of the land it has available, the facilities already in play, and in Thetford in particular, access to both a beautiful market town, one that's too long been a diamond in the rough when it should just be an unashamed diamond, and the unique green space of Thetford Forest and the Brex. Does that sound like fun? Thought so. Oh, and by the way, the first major live Eastern Promise event will take place this year on the 12th of October 2023 at Jesus College in Cambridge, looking at how we take the beautiful historic buildings we have from Woodbridge to Wells Next the Sea and ensure they're ready for a net-zero future. How to repurpose and revive unused heritage. And how to find the funding to meet the costs of it all. Early bird tickets are now on sale via Eventbrite. Just look out for Future Proofing Our Heritage from Eastern Promise. Or for more information, get in touch via Mike at easternpromise.site. Or go to our website at easternpromise.org. UK. And now... With this region being overwhelmingly rural, it's not altogether hard to find a picturesque stretch of water out in open countryside. But that's not our destination, oh no. We're looking at urban waterways, where the metro meets the H2O, on this week's... Crowd Sorcery. Yes, Crowd Sorcery. And where else would we be than here on the River Cam, aboard a punt, gently watching the world pass by? I've just about managed to restrain Engineer 49 from installing an outboard motor... I've had to take him to return the desk fans and the bar stools he borrowed so he could turn this beloved piece of Cambridge's history into something you're more likely to see in the Florida Everglades. I left him sulking in the Bridge Street Fitzbillies. But enough of that. Launching us into this week's crowd sorcery... Crowd sorcery. Thank you. ...is Chris Burke, technical lead for Repton Property Developments and property consultant for Commonweal Housing. 
who gives us, quite simply, Ipswich Waterfront. Agreed, Chris, and thank you. Next up, Adam Peed, business development strategist at Inuti, has us looking westward to the Wash. The historic part of Kings Lynn and the waterfront is lovely, incredible history and buildings. The guys at Kings Lynn creative firm, This Is Fuller, showcased it brilliantly here on Time Machine Kings Lynn. That's www.tmkl.co.uk forward slash aerial dash tour. We turn next to a Cambridge recommendation from future guest on this very podcast, Dr Tammy Dugan, Life Sciences and Healthcare Partnerships Lead at the University of Cambridge. Hingston Watermill and Duxford on the Cam, both lovely spots. Ryan Baxter of GOD, mine... <clears throat> Ryan Baxter of GOD, meanwhile, is taking advantage of this showcase of the... Is taking advantage... Uh, beep, 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 beep. Ryan Baxter of GOD, meanwhile, is taking advantage of this showcase of the stupendous. Ryan Baxter of GED, meanwhile, is taking advantage of this showcase of the stupendous to talk up the Everything app. Everything in one place. Our tools would be good for things like this, Mike. You can drop a pin, name the location, then attach photo and video posts to it for others to scroll through and discover. You can get routed to its own car park, or if it doesn't have one, get routed to the closest public car park and then by foot. Each place you map becomes interactive too, meaning you can do stuff when you're physically at the location. Very close to launch. We look forward to that. Thank you, Ryan. Next, Claire Haynes, Business Support Manager at the Norfolk and Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, suggests an urban waterway that straddles two of our constituent counties. The River Waveney is good, especially for the canoeist and kayaker. Thank you, Claire. And lastly... A winner of the Palanglia Medal for multiple entries across the region is Tarquin Bennett-Coles, senior partner at SCI Partners, advisor for Gainai Me Limited, pro bono mentor for the Hobbit and Changemakers, and careers in healthcare supporter for the MBA and EMBA students at the Judds Institute. I love the broads in Wroxham and the River Cam from the Plough Pub. Thank you for all those suggestions. And so, listeners, why not get out there and in a rivercraft of your choice, but do it sedately. Not like Engineer 49 almost did. I mean, thank goodness I stopped him be before... Oh, oh, look out, look out, look out! Thank you. Thank you very much. And on that unbelievably soggy note... Thank you to Neil Fawcett and Rachel Holden of NR Medical Training. Thank you to the Norwich Millennium Library, especially for the biscuits. Thank you to all my crowd sorcerers and to the scourge of the cam himself, Engineer 49. And thank you to you. It's the summer holidays and I'm so grateful to you for spending your time with me. So, farewell, my summer love. The boys of summer have gone. Although what with the weather, I'd call this a cruel summer. I'll be back with you in September. But until then, bye for now. You can contact Eastern Promise and find out more about what we do by visiting our website, 
easternpromise.org.uk. Eastern Promise is a Priors Croft production on behalf of the Eastern Promise East Anglia Community Interest Company.